You're listening to The Author's Leverage, where it's all about your book and how to create a greater impact and a greater income with it. This podcast is for the author who knows there's more you can do with that book. Whether you're publishing your first one ever or you've written multiple bestsellers, the path to greatness begins by looking around and seeing that you are, at this moment, standing right in the middle of your own acre of diamonds. My friends, your book is a brand. I'm Parshel Tashi, creative entrepreneur and education design architect, and I'll be your guide diving into the minds of successful authors, renowned publishers, and industry experts to glean practical wisdom you can integrate into your book writing, launch, and marketing strategies today. You'll hear straight from the source how authors like you were able to publish their best work and build wildly profitable, successful businesses around it. Welcome aboard the Author's Leverage. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Author's Leverage. I'm so excited, thrilled to have with me Laura Berman-Fortgang. She is an amazing, amazing person, an author, so many amazing things about her that you're going to learn, and I'm excited for you to learn from her, and we're going to have a good conversation. So let me introduce you to Laura. Laura's professional life is anchored by her international reputation as a pioneer and 25-plus year veteran in the personal coaching field. Only one expression of her year supporting people to find meaning, purpose, and satisfaction in their lives. Laura is also a best-selling author, sought-after speaker, TV personality, been on Oprah and other national morning shows, corporate spokesperson, interfaith minister, and performer. Her TEDx talk currently boasts over 1.6 million views. She has five books out that are published in 13 languages. Thanks so much again for being with me. I'm excited to learn from you and um, I had the opportunity also to check out your TEDx talk, which was amazing. Um, you really have poured your heart out when it comes to coaching and helping others get results. So can you talk a little bit about how you, how you wound up in this, in this, in this role, in this space? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I went to school for communications because my parents wouldn't pay for a theater degree. Right. So they so I was like, oh, OK, so me and all the other frustrated actors, we would produce TV shows and movies with us in it. Right. And I graduated from college and said, you know, I was I had more fear about getting a real job than I did about moving to New York and trying for my dream. And my dream was to be on Broadway, to sing, to dance, to, you know, do movies, whatever. And I spent almost a decade doing that. But somewhere along the way, I'd given myself five years to have an agent and be, you know, professional. And I had my union affiliations, but it was still elusive. However, I really started losing it. Like I just lost a grasp on my mental health because every I worked so hard and it wasn't happening. And um, out of this crisis, which... I, I mean, I tell honestly in one of my books that I thought about ending it all because I failed so badly. Um, on the other end of this crisis, I was very compassionate towards all people, very intuitive, or suddenly had an awareness of my intuition. And my intuition told me to call an old colleague of mine in the acting world, and he had become a coach. And my intuition was so spot on. It said, he has your next job or career for you. So I started as a client. And within two years, I was like, you know what? I really want to do what you do. Coach University with Thomas Leonard was just starting. I was student number 16. The same people started the International Coaching Federation, which is now like in 80 countries all over the world. And it's 20 years old itself. 
I think. And um, I just found myself right place, right time, all the right skills to be a representative for this burgeoning field and was kind of discovered because I was in a magazine article. This is a crazy story. Um, again, like the power of attraction, like I really didn't do anything except show up. Wow. Thomas Leonard, who was the guru, he was being interviewed in 1996. I started in 91, but by 1996, coaching was really ch catching on. He lived in a trailer and, you know, Newsweek thought this was so interesting. Like this guy in a trailer was starting this movement. So, um, Money Magazine actually contacted him and he was like, hey, everybody, you know, call this reporter. So I called the reporter and they were like, mm, we've already spoken to 20 of you. I don't need to talk to you. And I said, yeah, okay, great. But you need to talk to this one client of mine because she went from making 50 grand to 500,000 a year in 18 months by working with me. So they call her, they tell her they'll be back in touch with her to take her picture. By the time they come around to take her picture, the writer had left and they didn't know why they had an order to take this woman's picture. And she said, oh, this is a story about me and my coach. So that story was like a five page, full picture, colored picture spread about her and her coach. And my phone rang off the hook. I had 500 phone calls to return, 350 people on a, on a waiting list. I had to make my mother pretend she was my assistant. <laughs> I, I hired all these coaches and gave them work. And out of those phone calls were three publishers who asked me if I would write a book. And that's how I became an author. Oh, my goodness. That's probably my favorite story I've heard of that sort of journey because... And you see, said it, it's like, it just attracted itself. Like you, you, it was attracted to you. Yep. I mean, I showed up 100%. I was so devoted to this methodology that had changed my life. You know, I didn't need a therapist. I needed a coach all that time, you know, like the worried well, they call us the people that go to therapy, you know, not necessarily really mentally ill, just unable to process. Um, wow. and you know, coaching taught me how to think for myself. And then I became a coach. And I mean, I, I don't think you can even repeat what happened to me. It was definitely right place, right time. You know, people complain now that, oh, there's so many coaches. How do I make myself known? Well, back then it was like people thought I was a soccer mom. They didn't understand like what what's a coach and what qualifies you to be a coach. It was not an easy thing. And I knew no one. I was I knew actors who couldn't pay me anything. Um, so it was a lot of hustling, but I learned how to do that as an actor, always hustling. Hey, that's true. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so, and you bring up a good point though. I didn't need a therapist. I needed a coach. How can someone, you know, especially as entrepreneurs and just as people in general, how do you distinguish or advise people to distinguish between making that call between which direction yeah. to go? I think that's a great question. And I think of it too in terms of like, as a coach who's trained, you are trained to know the difference between who needs therapy and who needs coaching. And that's one of the danger zones and how low the bar is to get into coaching. Yes. And the way I define it is if there's some painful things from the past that need processing and they need understanding and they need time, that's a therapy situation. In coaching, I might point out to somebody that they're insecure about their leadership ability and, and say, you know, where'd that come from? He goes, well, my dad was very hard on me. Okay, so do we send you to therapy? Do we need to heal this place? Do, can we move forward in coaching? And with coaching, we would be like, all right, so where are you good enough? Like, where do you feel confident? And we completely changed his trajectory as a leader. Two years later, he meets me at 
a speaking gig. I didn't know he was coming. And he goes, I got to tell you something. I went to therapy. You were totally right. It was about my dad. You know, so we were able to deal with it in a coaching context, but sometimes it still has to be dealt with in a therapy context. So to me, it's like dealing with the past to be fully able to handle the present. And coaching is about creating an extraordinary future from the present we already have. And that's the distinction that I make. And how a coach can know if somebody really needs the other profession is if you can't move forward, if there's um, a lot of you know, self-flagellating and sabotaging that we wanna take a look at, you know, why isn't this working? And it might be a deeper issue. Yeah, I love what you said. Coaching is about what to create, how to create the future from the present. And therapy tends to deal more with the past and clearing those things up. So that's a really uh, powerful distinction there. Now, back to your story. <laughs> and <laughs> Oh, there's just, more to, to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at that point as well, I mean, your phone's ringing off the hook. You've got people on a wait list. I mean, this is like a dream for a lot of coaches. And then on top of that, you were invited to start writing a book. Was this like, was it, was it overwhelming for you? What was your experience like? Um, you know, being in that position? And then how did you navigate to say, yep, yeah, I'll go ahead and write a book next? Like, <laughs> Yes, it was absolutely overwhelming. I cried through most of it, you know, it was like, I don't know if I'm really ready for this, you know, and um, here's my mentor who had turned down book deals, and then I'm not the guru, and I'm being asked to write a book. So there was a lot of that tension as well. And how I dealt with it was making it not about me. I was like, this is not about me. This is not about me and what I have to say. This is about um, being able to represent a profession that I think needs a place in the world. So I felt like I did it for all my colleagues, like my first book. Um, and they wanted me to have a writer because I'd never written anything before. And I was absolutely stubborn and said, no, no one's going to be able to capture my voice. I'm going to write it. The fir My first book took me not nine months, nine months. And I was, my husband and I didn't have any kids at the time. Now this is, this is a funny story, but I told him he better get a hobby like golf or something because he's never going to see me because I work 24 <laughs> hours a day, seven days a week. I had no idea what I was doing. I was a ho horrible and at disciplining myself to write and it would take all day to write nothing. But first book, sign a contract, find out three weeks later I'm pregnant, nine months, have a baby. Second book, Found out three weeks later after signing the contract, I was pregnant with twins. Had babies nine months later. Third book, my husband got a vasectomy. He, he was like, we are not doing that again. Not doing this again. <laughs> nope. So I, I was pregnant with both my books, literally, and my first two books, literally and figuratively. And each book took me less time to write, but that first one was, it was so hard. Um, I did it on my own. I didn't have a book coach or anybody helping me. And you can tell because the editor was the business and sports editor for that label. And he, you can hear my tougher side. Like you can hear my male side. You know, like, I'm going to beat your butt. You know, like that's that's the tone of the first, <laughs> the first book. And they named me America's number one career coach. And I almost fell off my chair. I was like, what? Wow. We've got to live up to that. You know, so it was quite a growth period. It was painful. It really, it was painful, but I was not going to say no. I mean, I ran scared the whole time. I really did. And each oh book goodness. got easier. I still have not named a single one of my books. Every, they've been named by the publisher, despite what I called it. 
but I had more and more control over what I was writing and what I wanted to say as the years went on with each book. That's incredible. So, so once you had your books, by the way, it sounds like each book came with a surprise with oh. having the kids come up. I mean, but, um, but with each book, you said it got easier to write as you, as you went along. What do you mean by that? When you say it got easier? No, it wouldn't, it well, it took me less time. You know, I, I also had less time, right? So before I had kids, I had, like I told you, I t told my husband to get a hobby and he chose golf and I'm, I'm regretting that to this day. But anyway, so, <laughs> you know, he could leave me alone a lot. Then I had a kid. I didn't have the same amount of time. By the mm -hmm. time I wrote the second book with twins, no, the third book with twins in my house and, and a three-year-old, I was writing 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. and that's it because I had no time during the day. So I got more efficient and it took me less time in the day and less time in months to write it. Like now what, 90 Days to a New Life Direction, which I created a whole business around, that one took me 90 days to write. I literally wrote the 90 day program in 90 days because I had five beta testing groups standing by to receive my chapters because here I had been coaching people from the hip intuitively, you know, pulling things that I've used along the way. And I never thought of it as a book or a program that someone could follow without me. So I put five beta testing groups in place and literally gave them chapters out of my computer, filled in the stories later about them. And um, I'm still in touch with some of those people to this day. So, yeah, I and wow. it, so I've written each one in a with a different um, process too, you know, like people say, well, what's your process as a writer? I'm like, well, it's still developing. <laughs> you know, I think it just keeps developing. Yeah, it keeps evolving, especially knowing that nowadays authors can get immediate feedback. You mentioned beta groups and things like that, that you can build and write your book alongside the people who are going to read it or those ideal people that would read it and in essence build a business around it. That's a key thing that you just said, which is right, you know, key and point in what the author's leverage is about is taking that book and leveraging it to something beyond just, you know, a hardcover, you know, piece of work that you have. Yeah. Um so so is is writing a book something that you advise a lot of other coaches and professionals do? You know, it's funny that a lot of people will seek me out because I've done some of those shiny, sexy things, you know, been on Oprah, have the TED Talk, do the books, and they're like, oh, I want to do that. And I'm all for it, but it does not make, uh, people have a high expectation of it. It's sort of like going into showbiz, right? I'm going to be a movie star. No, you're probably going to starve. And if you're lucky, you'll become a movie star. And honestly, it's the same with all of these things. So... I see them as the icing on the cake. Like you have to have a body of work. I didn't write a book until I, I, I mean, I had five, almost five years experience by the time the first book came out. Um, so I think a lot of people rush to those things because they see it as a credibility builder and as a way to get more clients for visibility. And it's a catch-22 because you want to be able to put in that book something really solid because it's based on your work and you have stories from your work and you have testimonials of your work. So I think it's a balance, you know? Um, so I, I, do I encourage them? Yes, but at the right time, at the right mm -hmm. time. 
And I'm always reminded of um, this poster that I see in my mind's eye. I've seen it. It's real. It exists. It's a ballerina. You only see her from the like the knees down, and the two pretty the two feet. You know, one's in a beautiful set of tights with the toe shoe, and the other one is out of the toe shoe, no tights, bloody knuckles on her toes, and dripping with blood. And the saying across it says, everyone wants the glory, but no one wants to do the work. And that is a little bit how I feel about the shiny things that we can do. But I, I, but I stand for, like, I have been sustained for over 15, almost 20 years now. Um, it's 50, oh, my God, yes. From the Now What book. I have five wow. books. But, the, but Now What became, you know, it had come out of 9-11, I had been on the speaking circuit with my first two books. I was doing, so always kept clients because I felt it would be somewhat fraudulent to not have clients when you're calling yourself a coach. So, um, but again, my intuition worked for me. August of 01, my intuition said, you know what? Maybe you should fill up your practice again and, and you know, tell, let people in, let them know you're, you're taking on clients. I did that. And September 11th, 01, a month later, I lost all my speaking business because everyone canceled their conferences. No one was flying. My husband lost two years of work. And if I had not set up my practice to be back in with clients, it would have been ugly. And the funny thing was that four days after 9-11, my phone was ringing off the hook with people who were like, life's too short. Anything can happen. I need to take the back burner dream and put it on the front burner. I've hated my job for 15 years. I've got to do something else. So... That fall, I told people I only had 90 days for them, that I didn't know when my travel schedule was coming back, so I could give you 90 days. And I started helping them figure out what they wanted to do in 45 days. And in 45 days more, we'd come up with a strategy on how to get there. And one day my book agent called. I'd already told her after two books, I was done. I was done, been there, done that. First one was, a mis you know, not a mistake. Proved that the first one was a mistake by doing a second one. I'm done. Why, folks? Because... Writing the book is only half the battle. Marketing the book is a bigger battle. And I'd been there, done that, had enough. So here my agent calls me and, uh, you know, to check up on me. How am I doing? And I'm telling her, oh, my God, I'm working with these people 45 days, the other 45 days, blah, 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 90 days. She goes, oh, that's a book. And I was like, oh, you weren't checking on me to see how I was. You're <laughs> a book. But lo and behold, we write this book. I write this book, told you, with the beta testing groups. And it became a business. I stopped doing any other kind of coaching, only helping people figure out what to do with their life. I've trained almost a thousand coaches over the years to use my methodology. Um, and that way I keep getting stories and proof that it works. So I've improved it and improved, right? So 2004 hardcover, 2005 softcover. 2015, I rallied my publisher, which you can do, folks. And I said, let's do a 10-year anniversary edition. So to do a new edition, you have to change 30%. I had plenty to say after a decade of using this program and having other coaches use the program. So we do 2015. That's when I did the TEDx talk. And again, another lesson, everyone. We think, oh, that means you're going to go be, have the shiny stuff. My TEDx talk was hanging at like eh, 3,000 views. I was studying how do you get more views and Bada bing, bada boom, luck happened again. Uh, one of the coaches who had studied with me was talking to a reporter who I knew for many years, and she had said, oh, this is Laura Berman Fortgang's work that I do. So she, we talked, and I told her I had a TEDx talk, and she goes, oh, I'll put it in the story. So the story wasn't about me. It was about the coach that I trained, but she added my TEDx talk. 
So we went from 3,000 to 50,000 in one week, and it kept growing and growing and growing. And I get business from that TEDx talk. People are always seeking me out. So now what, 90 Days to New Life Direction, the third book, became a business that still sustains me till this day. And uh, like you heard Parcel say, I've now decided to turn around as a legacy piece of my business and start helping coaches get on the A-list. You know, are you ready for that book? Are you ready for that talk? Are you ready to, you know, have a program that you can scale? So it's just been, I mean, really, I'm very, very lucky. There have been a lot of valleys. You know, I don't want everyone to think it's all been roses for 25 years. There have been valleys, but I never stopped moving forward. And I've probably reinvented more times than Madonna. <laughs> That's a lot of times. <laughs> That's a lot of times. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it sounds like, you know, your story and what has happened is like a natural evolution. It's, it's, you've worked hard, you've, you've put in the time and the effort and the energy, and then it's just sort of naturally evolved. Um, because I would imagine, did you, did you see that your book would become a business at the time? Or was it just, no. like, yeah, right? No, I've been, I've just been responsive to what's in front of me. You know, not that I sit back and do nothing waiting for it to hit me, but you know, I'm in action. I'm doing what I think feels right. I do what interests me. Whenever I try to do something artificial, like try to get more followers on Instagram, you know, like because I should, because you have to. And those things never work out when I do the shoulds. But when I just show up doing what I love to do, be as generous as I can be, I've been, you know, I feel kind of well taken care of by the universe. Um wow. Yeah. And like I said, you know, not all sunshine, you know, that we've had, I've been through three recessions, you know, between 01 was a recession, even though my now what came out of it, 2008, 2009, and then the pandemic. And I took an SBA loan during the pandemic and it's changed my life for the better. That's how I was able to um, do a lot of great things in the last year and a half. So where I feel horrible for so many people have had um, terrible things happen during the pandemic it had major silver linings for us. That's such a huge lesson. And, and I'm, I'm learning to show up, <laughs> show up doing the things that you love and the universe and that which supports us in your way will continue to support us as opposed to trying to plan everything out. You know, I mean, plans are important. We do wanna plan for the future, but you know, like you said, it can become artificial. And, it's a dance, and, you know, yeah. it's, it's really a dance. And when I was on the Oprah Winfrey show, I mean, I had 30 minutes of 42 minutes of airtime and I only had four days notice to go on live. So we sold like 40,000 books, but the publisher was nowhere near ready. Like if it had been like, you know, we taped it and you'd be on in, in eight weeks or 16 weeks, there would have been more books in the store. So we did great. But anyway, Oprah met me backstage and was like, we got to have her on more. You know what that means, right? So for two years, the producers kept calling me and being like, well, we're thinking of you for this and it would never happen. And my life became about, am I getting back on that show or not? Because you know what it could mean if you're going to be an ongoing guest on Oprah, change your life. And um, it was still a fabulous thing to have done it. And I have loads of stories that came from that. But I started making my whole being about am I getting back on that show? And I started suffering because, 
you know, I would flip flop between they called, they didn't call, they called, they didn't call. And it's back to felt like the acting days, you know, where you're rejected most of the time. So I realized one day I was so off purpose. You know, I was so off the natural thing. I was trying to do the, make this thing happen. And there was no more flow happening there. And I was like, you know what? You are not living your purpose every day trying to get on Oprah. Like, would it help you to be able to spread your message? Yes. But it took me off balance. And I said, you know, if you're about make, causing change in the world, Laura, you can cause change opening up your door today and walking outside. So I had to get off that whole thing and just go on with my life. So I wanted to tell you that for the example of like when you push too hard for something because you think it's going to get you something versus just showing up where you are, doing great work and being open to when those bigger opportunities come. Wow. All right, it's time for a short break. Let's hear a word from one of our sponsors. Are you an author and ready to leverage your book? Maybe you have a great idea for a course or program, but you need help fleshing it out with someone and making sense of what you have. If that's you, I wanna invite you to schedule a free half hour strategy session with me. We'll take a look at your content together, talk about your goals, and I'll provide my professional and honest recommendations. No salesy stuff or surprises. So to schedule a call, visit theauthorsleverage.com forward slash course strategy. All right, now back to the show. For those who are listening, I love how you teach the difference between vision, mission, and purpose. purpose. So when you when you brought it up, I was like, I'm going to have her uh, break that down for the audience. So could you share uh, just the, the differences between those and, and how you've uh, laid that out in, in your work? Yes, thank you for asking. Yeah, I think those words are used a lot of times very interchangeably or you, you know, you're in a corporation and our mission is this, right? So I see it like this and I had you know, somebody pointed out to me the physicalities of it, right? So vision is eyes, mission is hands, and purpose is heart or soul. So a vision is something you see, right? It's like a compelling image of an achievable future. And one of my favorite ones to repeat is that Microsoft, when they first started, it was a computer on every desk, in every office, in every home. That was nowhere near anybody's psyche look at what they did right that was one heck of a vision so vision is eyes what you see as possible what i see as possible is that everyone on the planet is a coach not that i want a million competitors just that i know that these skills when parents have them when teachers have them when bosses have them the world is a better place so mission what am i going to do what am i going to build microsoft built hardware and software I built a coaching company. I wrote books. I teach other coaches, right? That's what my mission, my hands, what I built. Purpose is why you? Why you? Why are you uniquely wired for this? And in investigating myself over the years, like I saw that the reason why I wanted to be on stage was not so much to get applause or for the fun of how much fun it is to perform. I wanted people to be moved. I wanted people to change something because they went to the theater and perhaps they were disturbed or inspired. And I saw a new place for that. 10 years hindsight when I was a coach, I was like, oh my God, I'm doing exactly what I really wanted out of acting was to cause change. So why me? Why that vision? Why that mission? Why me? Because my whole life, I cause change. You walk into a room with me, you're changing something, even if it's your hair. And it's annoying. It's like a gift and a curse. <laughs> but that's what it is. 
Yeah. So that's vision, uh, thank, mission, and purpose. Thank you. That that is again. I, I love just having that breakdown and, and especially relating it to your eyes, your hands, and really your heart and your soul and how all that comes together. Um, a question then for, for those who are coaches, aspiring authors or currently authors, what in your opinion, what do you feel like they're missing? What is like going over their head that they just keep missing when it comes to uh, creating, right? Creating this, this body of work or putting themselves out there. You know, what is it that you see that they're just not seeing? Well, I think it's trusting yourself. I think, you know, we hire a lot of gurus to teach us, which isn't a bad thing, but we're just so looking for the magic bullet or the thing that's going to make it all work. And the truth is you possess it. It's it's whatever your special sauce is, right? So I'm always telling uh, coaches or consultants, like, look at who you've worked with that you loved working with. Like, look at where you're, you can't wait to get on the phone with this person. Or what were the three biggest outcomes you created that just, you know, you humbly are so bubbly and proud about? That's where, that's where your knowledge base is. That's where you have something to offer. And I think too many look around and go, what's working and who's getting the attention and should I do what they're doing? And that's a mistake. No one can be you. So when people say, you know, oh, you know, there's 5 million books already about coaching or 5 million books already about finding your purpose or whatever, no one said it like you. And maybe somebody needs your point of view and the way you explain it to have it make a difference. And that's why we keep publishing. Thank goodness. <laughs> I, I love books. I, I was very slow to get a Kindle. I still don't use it. I've been through four <laughs> Kindles because I let them sit around until they become yeah. obsolete. And I still prefer the paper. Yeah, same here. Same here. I mean, the, the whole industry in it itself is completely changed, I would say, from when you oh. first wrote that first book to today, right? So what are you yeah. saying is that big, that, that, that the biggest changes and how authors today, like if you were starting fresh today, what you would do well <laughs> i mean this this ages me but i was pre-internet everybody hello um <laughs> you know i got on email in the 90s and when my first book came out maybe we were just doing the internet right so i didn't have to worry about social media but there were only 13 news outlets then too so you you had out of all the hundreds of books every month that were published you only have 13 chances to be seen so we have you know a a place now where there's so much room to give yourself the attention you don't have to wait for someone to give you the attention but at the same time we're in a very noisy space right like do we have to get on TikTok and dance to <laughs> be an author now you know so um, but the most important thing is any publisher, they, I mean, my first editor told me this. I said, look, I've written a book and now all my colleagues are going to want to have me help them. And should I introduce them to you? And he's like, well, bup, bup, bup. you know, I don't care how good their idea is. I don't care how brilliant they are. I only care if they can sell a book. And that is still true, my friends. That is still true. Like you have a great idea, that's that's a bonus. But they want to know that you have a platform, right? So what's a platform? That you have, that's where the followers come in, you know, a certain amount of followers that you might be the head, <clears throat> excuse me, let's say you're the president of the National Speakers Association. You know, that's a membership of tens of thousands. So you have that platform to be telling people about your book. Um, so your platform doesn't just have to be your followers, but it has to be 
where you appear in front of many people, whether in writing or in person or as a consultant, and they care the most about how are you going to sell that book because they're giving you the money to get it. Well, there's, there used to be advances. Nowadays, they try not to give you too much money up front and say, all right, we'll pay it to you on the back end if your book does well. So I, I always encourage authors to like, don't look at a book as a money-making proposition. Like you're not likely to make money from your book. You'll probably have to spend anything that you were paid on marketing it. So um, you have to look at it as something that's opening a door to a portal you want to go through. So if you're going to build a consulting business around it or a coaching business around a methodology or you just have a message that you want to turn into a movement, um, that the book will build credibility. It'll allow you to charge bigger coaching fees or speaking fees. Um, it does, you know, put you on the map in terms of, you know, a publisher really only gives you six weeks. If you're not a New York Times bestseller in six weeks, bye-bye, we got other books to do. So that's why your own marketing becomes very important. And I think people think that if you get a major publisher, oh, it's all done for you. Let me tell you. They might send out 400 books to the media and they'll wait and see who calls you back. That's how it works. That's it. So um, you have to have your own marketing plan and you have to be prepared to want to live with that book. Like when people tell me, oh, maybe I'll write a book about, you know, my upbringing first and then I'll write my corporate book. And I'm like, no, no, no. Which one do you want to be known for? Because you may not get the chance to do both, right? Or... The opposite happens. You get known for one thing, then no one wants to let you do something else. Like um, Elizabeth Gilbert is probably a very unusual case. Like she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Most people know her for that. But she writes novels that do really, really well. And she writes self-help books that do really, really well. And her memoir did really, really well. But um, that is so unusual. You know, think of TV people. Like um, if anyone ever watches the reruns of Happy Days, The Fonz. He's now an older gentleman who's been directing for years because he couldn't get hired as an actor after he was known as one thing. And so, um, I mean, that's a really old example. Let me think if I can think of a better one. Um, like, okay, like this is like the people from Friends. Not all of them went off and had other careers, right? They, they went to directing or they did something else. And it, it's hard to get out of that genre that, that you're known for. So um, the same things happen with books. So if you're a first-time author, make sure you're writing about something you want to live with for a really long time. Mm. Mm. And that's I such would... a good point. And you brought up, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I can yeah, keep that, That's so huge. <laughs> but to really think about, because, uh, you know, books are about leaving a legacy, you know, and what's going to live on after you're gone. So that's what absolutely comes to mind when you give that advice to make sure that that work that you're putting out there is something that you want to live with and something that um, you want to be associated with you for a very, very long time, even after you're gone. Yep. And, you know, the beauty of the digital world now is books can live longer. They used to just be put out of print because they, you know, they take them out of the printer and they, or they don't want to have warehousing. And now it's digital on demand, right? So if I was going to be on Oprah again, you know, and they had plenty of notice, they'll just print up a bunch of books. They don't have to keep them in a warehouse waiting. So there are there are a lot of advantages to the way that it's done today, and there are a lot of disadvantages yes. as well. But, you know, that goes for any time. I mean, in the old, old days, like my parents' age, you actually had an editor 
who you know, locked themselves in a hotel room with you and went through the book with you and you wrote it and you had someone to guide you through. Now you, you write that book all by yourself and, or you get a coach or a writer to help you. And then the editor will look at it and go, yeah, no, go back to work. So like the publishing industry has even changed over the decades. Um, and as, and you're very much on your own. And I think that's something that people don't think is going to happen, but it is. So, yeah. and, and also the self-publishing world, like there was a time, in my time, that was looked down upon. You know, like if you self-published a book, the media wouldn't look at it. You wouldn't be considered for any television shows or anything. But now it's, it's, anyone goes, it's okay. Yeah. Which is and a good it's directly, thing. Yeah, and it's linked to their platform, as you mentioned before. Like that becomes that, that point of leverage that they could use um, that allows them to get on those other stages. Now, I'm, exactly. I'm curious- as we're as we're starting to wrap up this wonderful conversation, I'm learning so much. Um, who who would you say as as an author, uh, thinking about what the author's leverage means, right? Who who is who's an author that you would say that you are impressed with and just really delighted to see them take a book and build something really incredible from it? It's like it it seemed like it was strategic, or maybe it was, but from that book, it just opened up, like you said, this portal to so many other things that sustain them. And so there's a lot of different ways that people go about it, but I'm curious from your perspective and your experience, who you are just incredibly impressed with, who's been able to really uh, embody some of the things that you you shared and that you believe in. It's a hard question because I, it's two people come to mind right away. Like Brene Brown is one. But I don't think she was strategic. She was, again, another right place, right time. Her TEDx talk went crazy. She had book deals, Oprah. And now she um, she turned Dare to Lead into a program that she trains other professionals to use in corporations. So, you know, she kind of, in a bigger way, our story, her story is bigger than mine, but our stories are parallel. But if I think of someone like, like Seth Godin, you know who Seth Godin is? He's a marketing yes. guru and he's just brilliant. And he comes oh up gosh. with very unusual ideas. And I'd say, I don't know his whole story, but some of his books sort of became, you know, businesses in themselves or were helpful to build his business because they were all about marketing in one way or another. Even though, you know, one is the purple cow and one is the dip and one is this or the other, they were all very clever, but they all, had a unifying theme marketing so i think it's it's just it, the stories of who does what with it are as varied as people are but certainly if you have a methodology of some kind that is a great way to write a book and build a business around it um you know the body of work feeds the book the book feeds the credibility to keep growing your body of work um you know i don't know anything about writing novels <laughs> <laughs> or, or cookbooks or anything like that. I only know about, you know, business self-help or um, nonfiction, you know. Um, yeah, so those two people come to mind. I, I, Otherwise, it eludes me. I'm sure there's plenty of people I know that purposely wrote a book to build a business around, but it's not coming to me. Gotcha, gotcha. But I, I just, I love how, like you said, right place, right time, just being in that space of showing up and doing your best and giving your best is really what matters in the end, right? For sharing from our hearts and our minds, like something that's going to give and make a difference in his life. So, uh, Laura, this is, I wish we could talk more. <laughs> I really do. This is uh, such a good conversation. So as we're wrapping up, I would love for you to share uh, about your A-list 
business mentoring program where people can get more information about that um, because you are certainly someone uh, that people should look to and really learn from, especially in this coaching field. So uh, would you share that as well as what the author's leverage means to you? This is something I ask all the guests that come on. Absolutely. When you hear that phrase, what, what comes to mind with that? Well, I'll answer that first. I mean, leverage is one of my favorite words because I do feel that my whole career was about leverage. From speaking for free at lunchtime at the brown bag lunch at the gym at Johnson & Johnson <laughs> to that the right manager saw it and said, I need you for my team. And I had my first check from a corporation and I leveraged that. Look at that. I'm now a corporate coach at Johnson & Johnson and that got me the next one and the next one. So author leverage, there's so much leverage to be had from being an author. Um, it's still a respected thing. It's a credibility builder and it, um, if handled correctly, can really be something that gives to you for years. Like I said, my, my middle book is about tw 20 years of business. The other ones help too. Um, and the A-list, the A-list is all my years of working as an entrepreneur and in the coaching field specifically, giving back to, to my community um, a program to help you perhaps become, have author leverage or whatever it is that you want to do with your body of work. And you can look that up at the alistcoach.com. And depending on when you see this, we do a free masterclass called Headliner. So that's at thealistcoach.com forward slash headliner. And it's coming up very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. This is so incredible that you've, uh, I, I just appreciate your time. I really do. And your advice and your wisdom and what you've shared today. I've learned a lot, uh, got to laugh and hear some really good stories. <laughs> and I know you have so many more that you could share. Um, so I, again, I'm just so thankful uh, for those that are interested in checking out the A-List Coach. I'll have that link in the show notes on, on this. Note, so I highly recommend checking that out. So any last words or anything else you just want to well, thank you. We thank you to you, Parshall. And I, I love that this is a very unique point of view. Uh, and I just delighted that you found your way to this in an unusual way. And I, you know, that's been my business all this time is just having people follow what I call your life blueprint. Like there are things you are intrinsically wired to do and create a life around that. So anyone listening, have faith in your ideas, have faith in where you've landed and build on it, leverage the heck out of it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Laura. And thank you all for being here. This is The Author's Leverage. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Author's Leverage. You can subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, do me a favor. If you found this helpful, leave us a review and share this episode with someone it could help along their journey check out more resources, visit theauthorsleverage.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.